Yes, we're open. Living Faith with Needham UCC, a sermon podcast from the Congregational Church of Needham United Church of Christ, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you're invited and welcome. This sermon for Sunday, February 4th, 2024, is entitled, A Helping Hand. It's a reflection on a reading from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, verses 29 through 31. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to find out more about our open and affirming ministries at the Congregational Church of Needham, United Church of Christ, simply head over to our website, www.needhamucc.org. Thank you. Our reading today comes from the New Testament, from the Gospels, from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, verses 29 through 31. Let's listen for a living word from God for us in these words from Mark, chapter 1. As soon as Jesus and his disciples left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Friends, God is still speaking to the world and to us. May our hearts be open to listen and to respond. Amen. Our reading today from Mark chapter 1 packs a lot in just three short verses. There's an entire story sketched out here about Jesus healing his disciple Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And the early church must have thought this was an important story, if short, since variations on this very same story appear in the Gospels according to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. As such, it's part of a long list and legacy of healing stories in the Gospel. The first such in Mark's Gospel, following immediately on the heels of Jesus casting out an unclean spirit from a man in the synagogue at Capernaum, the story that we shared last Sunday. But like that story, which we engaged then and there, this one today also stirs up a lot of questions. Questions and concerns, maybe even controversy, particularly about the nature of healing and the role and rights of women in Jesus's time and our own. Now, you may ask, what could possibly be so controversial about healing? Well, for most of the history of the church, we haven't seen these healing stories as controversial. Quite the opposite, in fact, we've celebrated them, both for the healings themselves the gift of actual broken bodies restored to health, and perhaps even more for the way their physical brokenness serves as a metaphor for the sinful brokenness of our world. And the healing, that is the salvation we need, which Jesus, the great physician, stands ready to provide. In fact, all three of those same Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, put some variation of that exact idea into the mouth of Jesus himself. When he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But as you've heard me say more and more recently, 
nobody's life is a metaphor. It's their life. It's their lived experience. It's their struggles and their joys first and primarily. Or as disability activist and theologian Amy Kenny, herself disabled, says quite clearly and resolutely in the title of her 2022 book, my body is not a prayer request. Not a prayer request, not a morality play, not a cautionary tale, and not inspiration porn. Her body and her abilities and her disabilities are her own. But Kenny goes on to relate repeated instances of presumably well-meaning, self-identified Christians touching her and praying for her healing without her consent and without her participation in defining what that healing and that wholeness should look like for her. Which we have to admit seems to be exactly what Jesus does here in Mark and in Matthew and Luke's versions as well. I've checked. Jesus arrives in the home of brothers Simon Peter and Andrew, the home they share with their family, where they tell him about this unnamed woman's incapacitating fever. And Jesus immediately takes her hand and lifts her up, raises her up. It's the same word used for resurrection at the end of that same gospel. He banishes her illness and restores her to health so she can serve the assembled guests, Jesus included, as the culture of hospitality in that time and place demands. Whether or not she actually wants to, apparently. And therein lies the whole other controversial element to this story, because we cannot overlook the fact that she is a she. She's a woman, and the lives of women in Jesus' day were strictly socially prescribed. Women and girls were the subject to the will of men, tasked with serving the men in their lives. Fathers, husbands, brothers, and others with no agency of their own. No control legally, economically, spiritually, not even over their bodies, especially not over their reproductive capacities. The more things change, the more they stay the same, right? It is an important part of this story that, according to the mores of that time, a man, particularly a strange, unrelated man like Jesus, should have had no contact with a woman, let alone touch her, take her hand, speak to her. And of course, that's part of who Jesus is as a righteous boundary crosser in the Gospels. He's repeatedly described as breaking down the dividing walls that keep us cut off from one another and subject some all too many to rigid dehumanizing systems of social hierarchy. In fact, the Gospels go to great lengths to show us that some of Jesus's best friends were women. But Jesus, can't this poor woman catch a break? Can't she take a break? Can she not even lie down and rest her weary bones for one minute, even when she's sick? Before someone, some man, some savior comes along and without so much as a buy your leave, puts her back to work again. I mean, thank you? 
And of course, I don't think that's how we're meant to read this story. But we can't deny that those elements are in there. Or rather, of course, we can deny those elements are in there because, of course, we have denied them for a very long time. We've denied the validity of the questions and the critiques raised by women and girls and people who actually live with illness and disability. Privileging instead what we've been told, what we've been told is a larger one size fits all truth. But one size fits all is not the way truth works. That's not truth. That's a cookie cutter and a sharp one. One that lops off the lived experience that falls inconveniently outside our own expectations, our own desires, the stories we want to tell ourselves about ourselves and our neighbors and the world. And generalizing like that, extrapolating from any one particular experience to the whole, and insisting that things must work just like that for everyone, that is dangerous and dehumanizing. And I don't believe that's what God wants. Because God doesn't love us generally, in the aggregate, on the average. Rather, God knows each of us by name and loves us in all the pointed complexity of our particular lives with our particular joys and our particular concerns. And God works with our particular needs to bring about the particular liberation along with and alongside the liberation of every other. So to me, the value of this story we have before us today is not as some sort of generalized truth about Jesus and God and the gospel, but rather as a particular story of God's liberating love at work through the ministry of Jesus in the life of this one woman. This is her testimony. This is her I statement about what Jesus has done for her. Now, you know what I statements are, right? I wish more people did, and I wish more people used them. The American Psychological Association defines an I statement as a communication tool in which the first person pronoun, I, me, my, is used in talking about relationship issues, such as, I am bothered by your habit, I, rather than, you have a bad habit, you. You, he, she, they, even we sometimes, all those other people, all those other people's stories aren't I, me, mine to share or to interpret or to use to make whatever point it is that I want to make with them. It's my job to listen to their I statements, to your I statements, your stories, and share my own in conversation. Just think how different our daily interactions would be if we all did that. Just think how different social media would be if we did that. So today, instead of telling you a story about 
Peter's unnamed mother-in-law. After all, we've already more than half evicted her from her own story when that's the only thing we can call her. Instead of telling you what I think about her encounter with the divine, with Jesus, and with their healing and liberating power, I'm going to use my I statements and tell you a story of my own, inspired by her. Now, I know we don't often talk like this. Not in our, oh, let's call it white, well-off, Western, intellectualized, progressive Christian circles. But I have a testimony to share. Because the truth is, my truth is, God has done great things for me. And that's a story, that's an I statement worth sharing. Time and again throughout my life, I remember how in the midst of suffering, illness, oppression, despair, and anxiety, such as I have experienced, I've also experienced healing and liberation that I attribute to the divine. I remember the heart-stopping shock of learning that I was HIV positive 32 years ago next week, at a time when that diagnosis was little more than a death sentence, and how that stripped away my hope for the future, that I could even have a future for years afterward. I remember how my joy at finally feeling myself called to serve God and God's people as an ordained minister was crushed by the homophobia of leaders in the denomination of my birth, leaders who didn't even know me, but had made up their minds that God couldn't possibly call people like me. I remember years of feeling helpless to stop the self-sabotage by which I undermined my romantic relationships and my finances, what the Apostle Paul described using his I statements when he said in Romans seven nineteen, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want. That's what I do. I remember, and friends, I still wake up nearly every day feeling a sense of persistent helplessness in the face of sick systems on a global scale, so wide, so deep, I can scarce comprehend comprehend, much less control them. Climate change, racist and colonial violence, killer capitalism, and the breakdown of democratic institutions. I remember too many 3 a.m. breakdowns, weeping on the floor of the bathroom, reliving the multiple sexual assaults of my youth wondering what I did to deserve such pain and what I could do to fix it or failing that, end it. But God, friends, but God, God lifted me up. Even in those most painful moments and seasons, especially then, I believe God has extended their helping hand to me, just as Jesus did for this sister in our story from Mark today. 
And friends, God has lifted me up. God has helped me find my feet when I have fallen or been pushed. God has kept me safe when others have sought to do me harm or when I have been near to harming myself. It's not that everything has turned out all right. But I am all right in the midst of it. I endure because inevitably I have been hurt physically, mentally, and spiritually. And when I have been hurt, when I have been broken, God has knit me together again according to God's original vision of my ultimately unshakable holy wholeness, the image of God indelibly inscribed in me. While I do the hard work of healing and the even harder work of letting others help me heal. Because that's how the hand of God has appeared in my life more often than not. Not like a bolt out of the blue, but in the helping hands of others extended to me in grace. Family, friends, my partner, teachers, mentors, colleagues, church leaders and church members, strangers going out of their way to listen to my story and tend my wounds, to love me in my most unlovely moments, and so embody the love of God in my life just as Jesus did for those with whom he ministered. It's like what Mr. Rogers, a.k.a. the Reverend Fred Rogers, used to say, look for the helpers. Look for the helpers. Look for the listeners. And like the ancient hymn says, Ubi caritas et amor, Deus ibi est. Wherever there is love, wherever there is caring, God is there. Loving and caring for me. But that's my life. That's my story. That's my I statement just as Peter's mother-in-law's story is her own. Your mileage may vary, of course. And your details are every bit as important because your life is important. Your life is important to God and to the wider life of the world. If you have endured pain and suffering in your life, I hope I hope that you can look back now and see the divine hand of our loving, saving God at work in the homely hands of the helpers who tended to you, who nursed you back to health, who lifted you up until you could walk on your own once more, as much as any of us ever walks on our own. And beloved, if you are suffering now, today, and please, Really hear me here, especially if you are having thoughts of despair and self-harm. I hope that you will speak up. I hope that you will tell someone your story. As painful as that inevitably will be, I hope that you will ask for the help you need 
that you will reach out to me or to Reverend Maddie or to our prayer and care team here in the church or some other church friend or some other friend in the world abroad, a doctor, a therapist, a stranger on the other end of a helpline like the 988 National Lifeline Network. And let us be Jesus for you. Let us hold your hand. Because while your story and your relationship with God is yours alone, and no one else's to interpret or co-opt, friends, you are not alone. I don't know your life. Not really, not like that. But I believe with my whole heart, with my whole broken heart, that just as Jesus has done for me, Jesus will do for you. I don't know, but I believe Jesus may already be knocking on your door, asking to come inside and sit with you at your bedside to hold your hand. I don't know, but I believe that Jesus will lift you up as he lifted up Peter's mother-in-law in in her story today, as Jesus has lifted me up repeatedly in mine. In fact, I believe Jesus is already at work lifting you up, though your present pain may make that difficult to see. And that's okay. Not being able to feel the presence of God with you in a painful moment is not a failing on your part. Is it not a sign that you have too little faith, but rather too much pain? So if you cannot see Jesus's hand reaching out for yours, if you can't see it now, if you can't see it ever, here's mine. See this. Let's make a new story a better story for you, for us, for the world in all its pointed particularities and needs. Let's do that together. And so, beloved, if you have heard a word from God here today, remember to give all honor and glory to our one God, Creator Christ and Holy Spirit. Amen.